you have your Bibles, take them and turn with me this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 1. The Gospel of John chapter 1. Just mentioned that we're going to begin this series on John's Gospel, and I simply titled it Known, and I did that because as I started studying through and praying about this series several months ago, I kept coming back to this word as a summation, just a short summary of John's gospel as it covers Jesus' life and his ministry throughout this gospel so well. It just really encapsulates uh, all that we will see uh, and understand in our study through John's gospel. And in chapter 1, we get our very first glimpse at this word. In verse 17, John chapter 1, verse 17, he writes and says, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 18, he gives us this one sentence, a single sentence description of both Jesus Christ's nature, who he was, and his purpose. He says in verse 18, no one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. Now the nature of Jesus that's described in that sentence is that Jesus Christ is fully God. John said, no one has ever seen God. And he's describing God, our Heavenly Father, the, the God throughout the Bible that we see working in the lives of His people and pouring out His blessings and His, His promises and also pouring out judgment when they disobeyed Him. We've seen this God all throughout the Old Testament. And so John says, no one has ever seen God. And then he says something that would be kind of redundant if he weren't talking about someone else. And when we read it, we kind of go, what's he talking about? Because it sounds like he's describing the same thing because he says, the only God who is at the Father's side. And you go, well, no one has ever seen God, the only God who's at the Father's side. Isn't that the same thing? No, it's not the same thing. And that's the point that John's making. He's describing another person who is God who is exactly like God in his nature, in his character, and who he is. This is God. And so he descri he's describing Jesus Christ, God's son. And so he says, this uh, only God who is at the Father's side, this is Jesus. And he describes what he came to do. He has made him, talking about the one true God, our Heavenly Father, he has made him known. So Jesus Christ, who is God, came to make God known to us. So kind of the question becomes, well, why would Jesus make the Father known? Well, verse 12 gives us an answer to that question. It says, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So Jesus made the Father known so that we could become his children. Now, not every book of the Bible states it as clearly, but if you'll flip over to John chapter 20, you will see why John took the time to write down his account of Jesus' life and his ministry and his work. Jesus, or John tells us his purpose in writing his account of Jesus' life and his ministry. John chapter 20 Starting in verse 30, he says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But he says in verse 31, But these are written, the accounts in this book, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life 
in his name. So John gives us the purpose. I've written this so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, God's Son, and that by believing in his name, you can have life. And that word life there, we'll, we'll see a little bit later and we'll study throughout the book, uh, is another truth. It's, it's a way that John uses uh, as he writes his gospel to describe Jesus' work and his ministry. But I'll tell you, as I've been praying for this, uh, my prayer has been twofold for us as a church as we study through John's gospel. First, I pray that anyone who is here or who may visit here uh, any week, but particularly as we work through this gospel, who hasn't believed in Jesus Christ as their Savior, would do that. That they would place their faith and their trust in him and become one of God's children. But secondly, I've really been praying that those who do believe would be so filled with the love and the presence of Jesus Christ that, that, that we can't help but make him known to other people so that they may give their hearts and their lives to Jesus Christ as well. Which brings us back to this word known, this, this description, this, this word uh, to describe this gospel in our study. And so today, what I want to do is I want to kind of give an introduction, hit some key thoughts, some things that we will see as we study through the Gospel of John. But to do that, I think we've got to come back, and, and you really need to understand this title, this, this word known. Known is a past participle of the word know. Past participle of the word know. And there are several diff different definitions of the word no, but there are two primary ways that we will see it used uh, and find its definition throughout the Gospel of John. First, the word no means this, to perceive or understand as fact or truth. To perceive or understand as fact or truth. So we want you to know Jesus Christ. We want you to understand and know uh, facts and truths about him. You see, when we hear things, we make a decision. Do we believe what someone tells us? And you've all met people who tell you things and you go, yeah, right. All right, so, so we make a decision when we hear things. But when we can see things, we can believe or maybe accept it as fact. For example, because of their unique structure, eggshells are actually quite strong. Strong enough, in fact, to support over 10 pounds of books. Now you hear that and go, yeah, I don't know if I believe that or not. So, let me demonstrate. You've been wondering, haven't you? What's he got under the cloth up there? These are eggshells. They are real, legitimate eggshells. I'm going to be very gentle with them. Now you're wondering how I got them so flat. After about three of these, trying to break them up flat, I decided to go get my Dremel and uh, cut them off. It was a lot easier, so I was able to get them flat. I'm going to take these eggshells, I'm going to put them here on this table in a little triangular format. And then I weighed these commentaries. These are commentaries. It's amazing to me. The Gospels of Matthew and the Gospels of John may cover, you know, 70 pages in the Bible. There are thousands of pages written about those books of the Bible. So I weighed these over 10 pounds of books right here. And I'm going to take... Get in here real low so you can hear them squeaking. Oh, Lord, let this work this time, please. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? <laughs> My bad. All right, two books. Three. Four. <laughs> Five. Oh. Rats. 
That one cracked too. All right, we're going to take a shortcut. Now what am I going to do for the 11 o'clock service? <laughs> you laugh. All right, that's a dozen eggs uh, already. Okay. Now. Where's Michael Moore? Does that illustration work or not? I, I don't know how that works. You just saw that in concept that'll work. Smooth your eggs out, make them level. Mine were a little bit off. But I did this morning. I stacked all six of those on. And then the guy who can't leave well enough alone is like, I wonder how many I could put on. So I added two more, and I had to go back home and finish off another uh, dozen over there, working on that then. But if you look at that and say, well, well, why would he even think that would work? Well, it's the arch. It's the dome structure of the egg. How many of you have ever seen an arch bridge? A, a bridge is built arches based on the same concept that's here. So, so that will work. Uh, I have done it, have seen it myself. So if you see that and it works, you go, I believe it now. I saw it. Now you're kind of like, I don't know if I believe it or not. But, but in theory, all right, that, that's how that would work. But unlike the eggs, the Gospel of John was written, and people give eyewitness testimonies. They give accounts of Jesus' life, of his teachings and his miracles and they tell about him so that we would believe that Jesus was indeed who he says he was. And that God did, what, that Jesus did what God sent him to do. And so sometimes we know things because we can see it and we can believe it and go, okay, I can put all that together. But the second definition of no becomes a lot more personal for us. The second definition of no says this, to be acquainted with as by sight, experience, or report. And this definition isn't just knowledge, it's based on experience. If you can have seen something with your eyes, you can say, well, I know it's true because I saw that. For example, how many of you, based on experience, have ever seen someone stick their tongue on something that's frozen and have it stick to it? As in like a flagpole, popsicle, Cuba ice. Okay, so I see some, yeah, by experience I've seen that. How many of you have ever seen a bird swoop in and snatch a fish out of water? Any of you ever seen that? All right, so you know that happens because you've seen, you see, yeah, I, I know that they will do that. It's not just the nature channel that will tell me that. I've seen that. All right, how many of you know, have ever seen and know what happens when a bullet hits a container filled with liquid? What happens? It explodes. How many of you know that? Because you've seen that. Okay, yeah, all right. We're in, we're in the, uh, out in the, the, the boonies here. You guys know what that's like. So we've seen those things. And if you've never seen those things, then if you trust the people around you, and we'll talk about that later, if you trust the people around you, you could ask them and they'll tell you their experiences. Okay, I believe that would happen. But this second definition says that some things are known from experience. So based on experience, how many of you know that an electric fence will give you a jolt of electricity that won't kill you, but will make you extremely uncomfortable. All right? There's some hands coming up. Yeah, you guys have been there. How many of you know that a car will hydroplane if you hit water going too fast? All right, been there, done that. All right, you guys are there. How many of you know that pinata should be hung overhead and the person with the stick given a large berth to hit at that pinata? All right, 
America's Funniest Videos should put that in the collective psyche of all Americans, all right? There shouldn't be any new footage to that. But if you haven't experienced those things, hey, you're welcome to go grab an electric fence or drive too fast on wet roads or stand close to the piñata if you want to. Or you could talk to the people who just raised their hands and based on their experience, you can learn from those things. But the last way it says that we can know things is, is by report. You know, we may have not experienced something personally, but we can believe that it happens, that it occurs, that it exists based on the reports of others. How many of you have never been to Australia? How many of you believe it exists? Well, okay, why do you believe it exists if you haven't been there? Well, you believe the reports of people who have been, and you saw their pictures and saw their videos and all this kind of stuff. So, so we believe it. How many of you have ever removed an appendix? I haven't. Some of you have. All right. Oh, wow. More than I thought would raise their hand on that. How many of you believe an appendix can be removed? All right, you haven't done it, but you believe those who have, and doctors and, and nurses and physicians or people who have had them removed and said, man, I feel a whole lot better with that thing gone. So we believe based on the report of other people. We trust their experience. And all throughout the Gospel of John, we see reports, we read stories, and we hear testimonies about Jesus. And people say, this is what I saw Jesus do. This is what I experienced. This is what he did in my life. And then we face a decision And it's the same decision that people in Jesus' day and in every generation since then and even today still face. What are you going to do with those reports? Do you believe those reports? Do you believe those testimonies? Do you believe those stories about Jesus Christ? Or do you not? Because that is the choice that we have to make. And here's the great thing about serving a risen Savior. It's not just that we believe the reports based on people long ago because he is moving and working and living and and active in people's lives. We can hear their stories today about what God is doing, about what Jesus Christ means to them, about the difference he's made in their lives. And we still have a choice to make. What are you going to do with those reports? Are you going to believe those reports and those testimonies of Jesus Christ's power in another person's life? Or are you not going to believe those reports and those testimonies. Those are the questions. Those are the choices that we face. And here's the thing. Christians are called to share with other people what God is doing in their lives. God wants you to tell others what God is doing in your life so that God can use your testimony to draw other people to himself. John chapter 4 tells us the story of the Samaritan woman. If you want to flip back there, we're not going to look at the whole story today, but kind of I want to walk you through a few things here. The Samaritan woman, she's been divorced five times. She's living in sin now with a man who wasn't her husband. She met Jesus at the well as she was coming to get water. They had a conversation. She wound up believing and placing her faith in Jesus Christ. She was so radically transformed in that instant that she goes back into town to tell people about this man named Jesus that she had met. And we would think that this woman is not going to be a credible witness. Because everybody in town knows her reputation, and they're going to kind of go, yeah, right, we kind of know who you are, what you're like. We're not going to believe you. But John chapter 4, verse 39 says this, Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. You know what? That should encourage all of us to tell our stories of how Jesus Christ has changed our lives because it may help lead other people to become God's children. You know, and actually her testimony was even more powerful because of her reputation. 
People heard her speaking and sharing, and they saw that the change that had come so quickly in her life, and they said, we want to go see if this man that she's talking about, if he's really there, and if, if that same power that's worked in her life can now do that same transformation in my life. And so people were more curious because of the power of her testimony and how Jesus Christ had changed her life. Now, I want to spend our last few minutes this morning highlighting some themes that we will see kind of over and over again throughout John's gospel. And I put some historical stuff in there to kind of give you a context of history and how this book was written and the audience and those type things. Uh, but these, are, these things that we'll look at here these next few minutes are things that we'll see reiterated over and over again throughout John's gospel. As we think about Jesus making God known, we've got to first remember that God reveals himself. God is the one who reveals himself. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 3 that no one seeks God. You know, if we want to know about something, we may Google search it. We can go to the library and get a book or do some research over there. We may call somebody and say, hey, you know anything about such and such? And so we kind of do research because we want to know about something. Well, what the Bible teaches is that no human being will ever have that desire. They will never have that interest, that hunger to know about God or the things of God if God doesn't first take the initiative to move and work and begin drawing that person to himself. We are spiritually dead. We have no interest in any spiritual things whatsoever. And only when God begins to move and touch our heart do we begin to say, God, are you there? What are you like? What, what would you want from me? What would you want me to know about you? When God begins his work, then we can begin to come and to seek after him, and he can reveal more of himself. But we must understand that God is the one who reveals himself. And in John chapter 6, flip over a couple pages, John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus tells us this very clearly. He says in John six forty four, no one... What do you think no one means? No one means no one. See, studying the Bible isn't that hard, is it? No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And later in that same uh, chapter, verse 65, Jesus said, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by my Father. But thankfully for us, God loves us and he wants to reveal himself so that we can know him and become his children. So Jesus came to make his father known and John tells us how Jesus does that uh, in, in his life and his ministry. And Jesus does that, we see throughout John, by revealing. Jesus reveals to us, what does he tell us about God? He reveals God's nature. Jesus reveals to us God's nature. John 14, verse 9, if we're ever asking the question that says, well, what's God like? John 14, 9, and, and the rest of the Gospel of John tells us that we can look to Jesus to know what God is like. In John 14, 9, Jesus said, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. John chapter 12, if you will flip back a chapter and a half there, John chapter 12, verse 45. Jesus said, and whoever sees me sees him who sent me. So if we want to know what God is like, we want to see him, 
We look to Jesus because Jesus reveals God's nature. And he does that in two ways. He does it uh, through his life and his example. Jesus says, whoever sees me. So by his actions, by his deeds, we know what God is like by how Jesus behaves. I mean, if you say someone is a kind person, well, he's a really kind guy. Well, how do you know that? Well, because of your interactions, and you can follow that person around. And hopefully, uh, if this person is a kind person, they'll be doing kind things, speaking and waving and being nice and, and being very kind to individuals. But if you say, well, I think that guy's a pretty kind guy, and you follow him around a few days, and, and he, 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 you know, uh, is really mean to, to people out in public, and, he, you know, he's snapping at his family, he kicks his dog, you know, walking out of the house and stuff, would say, well, he's not a very kind guy. I thought maybe he was, but his actions show something different. So Jesus, by his life and example, show us what God is like. But we also learn what God is like because of Jesus' teachings. Jesus tells us what God is like throughout the gospel of John. You know, sometimes we learn by seeing, sometimes we learn by being told things. As some of you stop and you play, do you know or not? Maybe you'll stop after, after worship or after uh, Sunday school this next hour, and you'll stop by, spin the wheel, and see how much you know uh, on some trivia-type questions. You're either going to know the stuff or you're not going to know the stuff. If you know it, somewhere in your past history, you were exposed to it, and it's stored away in your mind, okay? But if you don't know it, there are things that we can't know unless someone tells us. For example, how many of you know what the first car was that I owned and drove? Anybody? You go, well, no, Curtis, we can't know that question. We weren't around you when you were, you know, a teenager getting your car. Exactly, you can't know that piece of information. Now, people I went to high school with who saw me driving around in my black and red, or my, my, uh, my black and yellow car, they call it the Bumblebee, they might tell you that my first car was a Plymouth Horizon, yellow and black, the Bumblebee as we affectionately know. If they remember, they could tell you that. But see, you couldn't know that unless I told you. There are things that we cannot know about God, things that we won't know about God until God reveals himself and tells us those things, and God does that through Jesus Christ. Responding to his critics in John chapter 8, Jesus said, Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. He says that in verse 40. Now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Jesus speaking things he had heard from God is one of the themes that we see in John. It's that of a witness or a testimony. People giving a witness about something they've seen or a testimony, what is there. We most often refer to this word and hear these in a courtroom setting, and that is the exact perfect concept. That you, uh, to the best of your ability and your knowledge, you truthfully say what you have seen and what you have heard. And Jesus, in John's gospel, gives us the testimony of what he has seen and heard from God, and he makes makes it known to us. But Jesus also says that God testifies that Jesus is indeed God's Son, that we should listen to him and we should follow his teachings. And so Jesus witnesses and testifies for God, and God witnesses and testifies for Jesus. But you know what? In spite of that witness and testimony, many people still refuse to believe in Jesus because he didn't act like they thought he should. Jesus didn't talk like they thought he should. Jesus didn't behave like they thought he should. And they refused to believe him. And not only did they say, ah, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to believe it. They wouldn't just leave it alone and say, I'm not interested. They were antagonistic toward the point of trying to disprove and discredit and keep other people from following Jesus. And so in one of these conversations, they're trying to trap Jesus uh, in things. And Jesus tells them in John 8, My Father testifies that I am who I say I am. 
And he uses this context of a courtroom. He goes on to talk about being in court and say, My father testifies that I am who I say I am. But in addition to God as his witness, and I mean, come on, if God is your witness, do you need to even go anywhere else? But throughout the Gospel of John, uh, we see him uh, note that John the Baptist is a witness to Jesus. The miracles that Jesus performs, he said, these are a witness uh, that I am who I say that I am. The scriptures, especially Moses, they quoted and said, well, we're, we follow Moses. And Jesus is like, oh, you follow Moses? Well, then you'll follow me because Moses knew me. He knew all about me and all, he wrote these things about me. And they go, what? So the scriptures were a witness to Jesus. Uh, and the disciples also bear witness that Jesus Jesus is the Messiah. He was God himself. He was God's only son. Another thing John will do throughout his gospel is he will identify seven miracles or signs. There were seven miracles or signs that he performed, that Jesus performed to demonstrate that he was God's son. And when he performed these miracles, many said, we believe that you are God's son, that you are the Christ. And they came and they followed him. But some saw these miracles, these signs, and they still said, "Mm, not buying it. Not by, we are not going to believe in you. We are not going to follow after you. It's a choice that we all have to make. And then John used some of these signs, but in addition to these signs, as part of Jesus' teaching, he emphasizes the I am statements of Jesus. Over 20 times in the Gospel of John will we find Jesus saying, I am. And sometimes he says that in an absolute sense of saying, I am God. But at other times, Jesus uses it in a more metaphorical sense to describe something and to teach people about God's nature. And these I am statements are really, really important. Because when you go back to Exodus chapter 3, when God was calling Moses to go into Egypt and lead the Israelites out of slavery and captivity there, Moses said, well, when I get there, why will they believe me? I've been a shepherd out here in the the desert for so long. They're not going to believe me. Who will I tell them sent me so that they'll believe me and they will come and follow me out of the desert? And God speaking to Moses said, you tell them, Moses, that I am has sent you. And when you say I am sent me, they will believe you and they will follow you out of that wilderness. So I am is the name that God gave to Moses. And so Jesus walking around saying, I am, people went, he's claiming to be God. And if he made that claim without actually being God, Jesus would be guilty of blasphemy and should have been executed for making such a claim when it wasn't true. But John shows us that Jesus did back up his claim. And the testimonies and these witnesses demonstrate that Jesus was indeed God. Jesus would very often take these signs and these I am statements and he would put them together to teach his followers spiritually discerned truths. Spiritually discerned truths. For instance, Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. And later he told his disciples, I am the bread of life. And as Jesus would do this, and we'll see it over and over in the Gospel of John, people would hear these words and these objects and these concepts that were familiar to them, but they would take them literally and almost miss the lesson that Jesus was trying to teach. When he said, I'm the bread of life, the disciples went, 
oh, he's mad at us because we forgot to bring any food and he's hungry. So he said, I'm the bread of life saying, I wish I had some bread and you guys forgot it, you know? And so they're taking it and thinking of it that way. And Jesus goes, no, it's not about physical bread. And he teaches them about God and what it means, it means to live upon the life and in the spiritual life that Jesus brings. In John chapter three, it happened again. Uh, Nicodemus was a, was a prominent religious leader and he came to Jesus one night because he wanted to learn more about him. And, and you almost chuckle at the confusion that's taking place in John chapter 3, when Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. And scripture doesn't say it, but I think there's a long pregnant pause there. And you can kind of see these wheels turning in Nicodemus' mind. And he says back to Jesus, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he's kind of thinking, born again i understand born i've been again do it over but mom's not really going to like that concept too much you know he's stuck on this literal trying to piece it together and then jesus went on to share perhaps one of the most famous verses in the entire bible in john three sixteen, as he was explaining to nicodemus that born again means that we're spiritually reborn not physically reborn And so these spiritually discerned truths, Jesus does this on several occasions, and we'll see those. And the thing is that only those who believed in him, who had a heart of faith and a mind that was open to understand what Jesus was teaching, could grasp these truths. Only as the Holy Spirit worked in their lives could they understand what Jesus was saying to them. They were spiritually discerned. You know, this study is going to take a while, but we'll we'll take some breaks and we'll pause uh, in between here. But I pray that you will be back for this, this study uh, and this exciting and this very rich gospel. And I'm going to wrap up and I want to share with you a couple of things that I've been praying for myself and our church. And, and I would just ask you to pray along with me uh, as we begin this study and as we continue, we continue through. First, pray that people will recognize their need for Jesus. Pray that people will recognize their need for Jesus. In John chapter 14, verse 6, and if this verse is not highlighted in your Bible, then I encourage you to mark this verse down because you have got to wrestle this truth and its implications to the ground in your heart and in your spirit. In John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You've got to wrestle that to the ground. What does that mean? And what does that mean for all people? Because it is the truth that will make the difference between people's spending eternity in heaven or in hell. That one verse. C.S. Lewis says that verse is so important that, that, that you have to make a decision based on that verse. And he says you can arrive at three conclusions about what Jesus Christ said in John chapter 14, 6. You can look at that verse, and some people have, and they look at that verse, and you can surmise, and you can realize and say this. And people have said Jesus was a liar. They said he was a liar based upon his claim to be the only way to the Father when in actuality there are other ways to God. And we live in a world where people say there are many, many paths, many doors, many gods, many ways for you to have a relationship with God. Do they not? So they make that claim that there are many. Jesus said there is one. There's got to be a truth in there somewhere. And if Jesus made the claim knowing it's not true, then he's a liar. 
And if he's a liar, everything else he said, there's a shadow of doubt based upon him knowing better than to make this claim about himself. Now, C.S. Lewis said, now you can also surmise that maybe Jesus was a lunatic. Maybe just a lunatic. He thought he was God's son, but he really wasn't. I mean, we know of psychological disorders and people think they're somebody else and they behave out and they do these sort of things. So, so maybe he was just confused or had these, these, these visions of grandeur, thought he was someone else. And, and uh, so maybe that was the issue. And, and thinking that he was God and making such a claim might indicate those psychological issues that were there. And in such a case, you could think that Jesus was a nice guy. Maybe he said some good things and maybe some neat things happened in his life and in his ministry. You may have some empathy for him. But people aren't going to surrender their lives and give their lives in martyrdom for a person who's so delusional. So C.S. Lewis says, you know, you got those two choices, but maybe you can believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And based on his claim to be the only way to the Father, you need to make him the Lord of your life. You can also arrive at that decision. And if you believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and you make him the Lord of your life, I want you to know everything changes because of that. Everything changes because of that. The decision of who Jesus is based on his claim in John 14, 6 changes everything. So based on that verse, who do you believe Jesus Christ is? Who do you believe he is? And if you decide to or have made him the Lord of your life, then your life should be different. The question is, is it? Is it difference? Different because of who Jesus Christ is and what he's done in your life. Which is my second prayer for us, is I pray that we would be challenged, that we would be motivated through the power of the Holy Spirit to bear witness and testify to the others about the difference that Jesus Christ has made in us so that God might use that testimony to draw other people to himself. But my final prayer for us is that we would have an ever-increasing belief in Jesus Christ. We'll see this issue of belief re-emphasized over and over again. And I pray that our belief would increase. Because as we believe more in him and in his mission and his purpose and his call upon our lives, we will be radically changed. And that transformation, the change that's brought into our life will be evidence in how we think. It'll be evidence in how we behave. Jesus Christ will change your priorities. And him changing your priorities will make an impact in how you manage your time. It'll make an impact in what you do with your money and your financial resources. It'll impact how you run your business and how you work in your workplace. It will impact every area of your life. You see, as our belief increases, we will seek to live more fully surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives each and every day. So my prayer is that our belief would increase. And so today, for our time of invitation, I pray if you've never believed, and if you've never placed your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, I pray that you would do that today. I pray that you would receive him and make him your Savior and your Lord in your life.